It's time for Nashville Sounds Baseball. Franklin Barreto hits a two-run homer. Matt Chapman has done it again with the glove. Garneau lines a base, hits a left. Sounds win. An amazing play by Joey Wendell. It's over. The Sounds have done it. The Nashville Sounds are division champions. Matt Olson with his second two-run homer of the night. What a finish at First Tennessee Park. Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hem. Hey everybody, welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. Jeff M. here with you, recording from First Tennessee Park on what is the first ever podcast of the Nashville Sounds. And we're excited to get it started. It's going to be an opportunity for you to hear from some managers and some coaches and players and front office members and people around baseball. And really an opportunity to get to discuss some topics that we otherwise don't always get to talk about. Our first guest on the podcast is Sounds manager Fran Reardon, and I catch up with Fran every week on the radio broadcast. Every Monday, he is my pregame show guest, but generally that is about uh, what's going on with the team, what has happened or what is coming up, who's hot, who's not, uh, changes with the ball club, life at AAA, and the podcast with Fran becomes an opportunity for us and for you to get to know the Sounds manager a little bit more off the field, Um, what he's like behind the scenes, how he got to where he is, which he will tell you the background of his uh, long history in independent league ball as a manager, and then joining the Sounds Parent Club Oakland A's a few years ago down at Class A Beloit and how he's moved up the ranks in their farm system as a manager, kind of like a player would. He's moved up the ranks and now is in his first year at AAA and being the Sounds manager, so he'll share a little bit more about his career from a personal standpoint and how he prepares for a game, some of his thoughts as a manager, and what he enjoys most about having that role. So he is our first podcast guest. As you are getting introduced to our new Rounding Third Nashville Sounds podcast, we remind you to check out nashvillesounds.com slash podcast for all the different ways that you can continue to follow us and subscribe. We appreciate your feedback. You can always reach out to us on social media. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggested guest for a future podcast, we would love to hear from you as well. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Sounds Manager, Fran Reardon. Fran, as always, thank you for your time. We do weekly radio chats for the broadcast during the season, but this is a podcast. This is the first ever Nashville Sounds podcast. I know you feel extremely honored to have been asked to be the first guest. Is this your inaugural podcast in your life? Yeah, it's, it's my first one ever, and uh, I can't tell you how excited I am for it. And I got to tell you, I think we need to look at our records on uh, on Monday when we do our, our weekly interviews, because I don't think we're doing so hot on Mondays, and that, that may have something to do with it. We may have to switch it to Tuesday or Thursday, go back, look to see when we're hot, and maybe change it to that day. Well, I will tell you that Mondays, somewhere along the line years ago, just kind of became the day but when you were named manager, I was asked, is it going to be Fridays with Fran? And I said, well, Mondays has become the day with the manager, regardless of Scarsoni or Christensen. So 
I'm keeping it on Mondays. But, you know, if you would like a different day of the week, you, you have the kind of clout that could make that happen. Well, this game's all about <laughs> adapting and adjusting. And uh, I think we need to look at the analytics on how we're doing on Mondays. And, and if, it's, uh, if it's going the wrong way, we may have to change the day. All right. Well, let's start with a few topics that don't necessarily come up in, in the week to week when we're when we're either looking ahead or looking at the short term in the in the rearview mirror of the sounds. First of all, for you, from a personal standpoint in your career, you had a, a long time managing an independent league baseball. Uh, how did it come to be that you got the opportunity with the A's uh, a couple of years at Beloit and then to Midland? And now here you are with the sounds. How did that transition occur? Well, there's a long story and there's a short story. Uh, the long story probably would go longer than the podcast, so I'll give you the the abbreviated version. Um, I, you know, I, I played for a lot of years a long time ago in independent ball, and in 1997 and 1998 I played against Aaron Bush, who is currently our major league hitting coach. Um, 1998 I played against David Forrest in the same independent league, who is now our major league general manager. And, you know, you play against guys and you get to know them a little bit. And then Darren went on to manage an independent ball. And through the years, he ended up managing against me. Uh, the last year would have been 2003 when he was in Pittsfield and I was in Lynn, Massachusetts, in what was then the Northeast League. Well, after that year, uh, we, uh, we were given an opportunity, myself, Darren, and a bunch of other independent guys, to make a goodwill trip to Japan. And it was a 10-day trip that was basically to spread what independent ball in America was to Japanese players who may not have been given an opportunity in Japan to play in either the minor leagues or the major leagues. So Darren was on the trip and we spent quite a, you know, a lot of time talking baseball, talking the game, talking about our, our paths so far. And this was before Darren had joined the Oakland A's. Fast forward a couple of years after the, the friendship that was kind of cemented in, in Japan. And Darren is with the A's and he was kind of a pipeline for me as an independent manager, uh, which is what I had transitioned to at this time, to, to get players. Uh, if Oakland had released a player and Darren thought that I could use him, he would always call me. So we would talk three, four times a year, and I would follow his career and his, his ascension in the Oakland A's organization as a manager was pretty rapid. So the, the relationship just kept on over the course of you know the next seven, eight years. And over the course of that time, because we kept in contact, he would always you know, keep in, in touch with what I was doing in my career. And then in the fall of 2014, there was a, a manager vacancy in the athletics organization in Beloit, which is uh, low level A in the Midwest League. And he called me and said, hey, uh, do you have any interest in interviewing for this job? And at the time I was in Florence, Kentucky, I still had another year on my, my three year contract with them. Um, I had been managing for, uh, I don't even know, 12 or 13 years in independent ball, and I was kind of getting a little burned out. There's, there's a lot of aspects that go into independent ball that organizational ball doesn't entail. So I was, I was getting to a point where it would be nice to, to lessen the responsibilities in the off season and to, to see what it was like on the other side in an organization. So I talked to our, our farm director, Keith Lippman, and we spoke for about an hour on the phone, and it was uh, a good conversation, and uh, he was getting to know me and asking me questions about my background and my beliefs. Um, after that, I spoke to our, our general manager, David Forrest, who, uh, you know, you're going back 15 years now since the last time I had had any correspondence with him. Uh, and we had a great conversation, and about a week later, I was offered the job in Beloit. So... You know, it's a, <laughs> you, you go back and you look at, well, the first 
the first exposure I had was 1997 and 1998 to what my future would be with the Oakland A's. But that's just some, you know, some, a perfect example of how the game works and how things kind of come in circles. And that's been my path so far. You mentioned some stark differences at times in the role of a manager and the other duties that come with being an independent league baseball. I know a little bit about that world just having been an affiliated ball and talked to enough guys who played independent league ball. But your job now versus what it was, what are a couple things that you just either don't have to do anymore or that just don't work the same way now that you're with uh, one of the MLB clubs? Well, I'll start with what I don't have to do anymore, and, and that was basically when the season ended. Um, my my season really never did end. The, my off season would start, and it was a, a constant work towards putting the roster together for the next season. So, you know, you have your players, your current players, your roster that you have from the previous season, and then you have to uh, let go of players, trade players because of the, the age parameters, because of the experience parameters. And there's a whole new crop of players that you have to go try to sign in the wintertime. So guys are getting released from Major League Baseball, and you, you do your research on them. You try to find out as much as you can about them. You, you try to reach them on the telephone, which – in and of itself is a very difficult task sometimes because these guys are wounded. They've just been released from a major league organization, and it's tough to get them on the phone. And then you got to offer them you know, $900 a month to try to come to Florence, Kentucky, and try to play for you. Yeah. At the same time you're doing that, there's three or four other teams calling, you, calling that player from different leagues and maybe offering them more money or maybe offering them a, a better opportunity uh, based on what they're trying to sell as well. So that, that was a constant battle trying to get the, the really good players to come to your, to your organization in independent ball. At the same time, you have a salary cap to, to, to manage, and I was 100% in charge of managing a salary cap. And, you know, it may not seem like a big deal, but if you're over that salary cap and you're over for a significant amount of time, the fines are, are huge for an independent team. And so you're kind of – the, the front line to make sure that doesn't happen and to make sure everything is clean in that aspect. Um, I was responsible for all contracts. I was responsible for all trades. I was responsible for all releases. I was responsible for any suspensions or people put on the restricted list based on, you know, uh, behavioral issues or off-field issues. And all of those things, they, they can take a toll on you after you've been doing it for 12, 13, 14 years. So that was the, the part that I was so excited to not have to, to be a part of anymore. You know, you, you make that transition into the organization, and the, the, you're going to low A. And the first thing they tell you is, look, we do not care about winning. We need to get these players better. We need to see if these guys have the ability to, to make the next step, which would be high A, and then make the next step from there. So it is your job and your job only to watch their development, monitor their development, help in their development any way you can. And at the lower levels, it could be anything from <clears throat> establishing a routine, when to wake up, the correct foods to eat, the, the time to come to the ballpark, the, the uh, exercises and the strength conditioning, things that you have to do to get your body ready to play every day. And just the fact that these guys, for the most part, had never played 140-game seasons. So there's a lot of challenges just for young players learning, learning to do that. Uh, and, and then as you go up levels, uh, the philosophy remains the same. It's, a, it's about player development, but as, as you go up, you see better competition and you see the, the kind of pyramid where there's less and less jobs and the, the cream starts to rise to the top and you, you, know, you, you really have to perform at every level to get that promotion. And that's, that's been kind of exciting to me to, to see guys that I've had in, 
you know, starting in 2015 or 16 to, to where they are now, guys that are on this roster here in Nashville. So those are some of the primary differences. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of positives in, in both of them, and I'm, I'm just enjoying where I'm at now. Being a manager, especially at, at AAA, there's so much to it. There's the actual managing of the game and that particular game you're trying to win and you're trying to put guys in the right situations. But then there's the development side, too. What is the, the most joy of the job that comes with the title of manager? Is it seeing the guy kind of make the adjustment and see the mental click that goes on? Or is it like in the moment of the seventh inning trying to decide whether to bunt or not? Is it the tactics or, or more of the other stuff? It depends on the night. It depends on the day. It depends on what happens before <laughs> the game, during the game, even after the game sometimes. But there are so many things that I enjoy about it. And at AAA, it's different. The stakes are higher. The, the, you know, the competition is so great. Um, but even, even here, it's, it's the conversations that you have with individual players. It's the getting to know them. It's the trying to find out what, what makes them tick so that when you go to the baseball side of things, you have an idea of – how you want to frame conversations, how you want to say things coaching-wise, technique-wise, mechanic-wise, to, to maybe help them get over that hump because everybody's in the minor leagues for a reason. They're all trying to get to the major leagues, but maybe there's, there's one little thing that's holding them back. And if, if you have the ability, or and for that matter, anybody on our staff, Rick Rod or Eric Martins, Henry, Brad, any, any one of us at any given time has the ability to maybe uh, unlock that key for a player and uh, – Sometimes that's that's all a guy needs. So that's obviously something that I, I take great joy in trying to figure that out um, and having those conversations. Once the game starts, there's so many different decisions that that have to be made, and you know you you appreciate when you do something good that that benefits the team or puts a, a player in a good spot to succeed, and then you you kick yourself at night sometimes for things that maybe you you did or didn't do or things that you said or didn't say that maybe could have had an effect on the game or a player. But that's what this game is all about. You know, you, you have the opportunity to experience a lot of emotional highs, a lot of emotional lows. And I, I think just keeping a, a good demeanor about you and keeping a positive face on things all the time, I think, I think helps with the, the, the players. And I think they appreciate seeing that. Since you've been a manager as long as you have, whether independently ball or affiliated ball, have you developed sort of some some pet peeves or some things that just you just don't want a player to do or a rule that you just it just irks you when you see it get violated it could be a little thing or it could be something that you tell the team on day one if I'm talking to a guy who played for Fran Reardon five years ago what might he say oh if you're going to play for Fran make sure you don't do this what would that be anything try to bunt for a base hit and an 0-1 count (laughs) I'm not, you rattle that one right away. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that. I mean, unless you're an elite bunner and you're, that's a huge, huge part of your game, which there, there are very, very few elite bunners in the in our game anymore, and that's just something, uh, an example of how the game has evolved. But I'm a, not a fan of trying to bunt for a base hit and a, a one-strike count. Um, I was just talking about this with, with uh, Rick Rod the other day. I think the, the, the baseball rule that you can't assume a double play is absurd because I think a lot of times if you don't turn a double play you get one out but it should have been two outs and Mm -hmm. it should have been a routine play it should be assumed that a double play would have been made and it should be up to the score for for him to have that him or her to have that discretion to to make a call so that that, that's a rule that I really don't like 
We've had that happen a few times this year, too, where the inning would have been totally different, but there's no unearned runs on the pitcher from what should have been a double play. Absolutely, and uh, I, I don't think it's right. I think pitchers are, are punished, and uh, you, know, you have to be able to assume a double play, especially at the, the professional level. Mm-hmm. It's what a pitcher is trying to do. You get a, a sharp ground ball to a shortstop, and you don't turn a double play, then that, that's a problem, and that should be up to the scorer to, to determine the – the outcome of that play. I like it. So we're rewriting the rule book a little bit here during this podcast. Well, the other one then is, since you mentioned it, is when the short, uh, say a shortstop goes out, left fielder comes in, they both stop and look at each other and the ball drops. That somehow should be a team error, should it not? Yeah, I don't know who, who, who would get the error in that situation. I but. think there should be a brand new category that says team error. That way the pitcher at least doesn't get punished, even if the scorer can't determine who should be at fault for not catching the pop fly. That one's always bothered me. If I'm a pitcher, I would say it would bother me. You know, I never thought of a team error, but I like that. I think it, it could be categorized and it could help out pitchers. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on board with that. Right, so we've covered your background. We've made some new rules. We'll call MLB. And you have now been on a podcast. I have somehow, I think, maybe hosted a podcast now. This is, uh, this is breaking news. Wait, is this over? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a game tonight. You got anything to do? You want to keep going? Uh, I mean, I got an, another hour, hour and a half before the game starts. <laughs> so eventually someone's going to come knock on this door and wonder why the manager hasn't brought the lineup card out. Yeah, my door is closed, and it's never closed, so everyone's probably <laughs> freaking out what's going on in there. So your, your phone has also buzzed several times, so there's probably been five transactions in the time that we've done this 15-minute conversation. Well, that's the important thing. I probably should check that. <laughs> All right, that is Sounds Manager Fran Reardon. This has been the Rounding Third Podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast. Oh, 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 oh,